Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Well, I hope everyone had a a good and happy holiday and that you're looking forward to a prosperous new year. We're studying in the book of Colossians, and uh, this slide really provides a review of most of what we talked about last week. We talked about the nature of Jesus Christ And the main things that we talked about is Christ's preeminence, his superiority, his number one rank above all others. And uh, we defined these four relationships that Jesus himself has defined for us. Uh, He is the one who defined the relationships that should exist among us as Christians. He's the one who is the very nature of God himself. He is God himself. And so he defines for us uh, the relationship that he has with God because he is God. He defines the relationship with creation. He created all things. He was there in the beginning. And he uh, defines for us uh, how we should regard creation and how, how we should be stewards of the creation that he has given us. And he defines for us the relationship that we should have with all mankind. And he specifically and particularly defines the relationships that we should have with one another in the church. Today, we're going to talk about labor, work, and uh, <clears throat> I want to introduce that with a, with a question in just a moment, but just by a little broader review, if we look back at where we've been thus far in the book of uh, Colossians, really in the first chapter, you'll notice that Paul starts out with a greeting and he immediately launches into a commendation of the brethren there in Colossae. And I think he's doing that for a reason, and I'll give you a hint at that in just a moment. Then he uh, says a prayer of thanksgiving, and really it's a part of his further commendation of them, I think, because he is thankful for all of the good things that they are and that they're doing. Then he prays for their wisdom, and then he moves into this subject that we talked about last week, the preeminence of Jesus Christ and his nature. And today we're going to talk about Paul's labor And to begin that, I'd like to ask this as we think about a new year. uh, What does this word ministry, or we might say serve, what does it mean to you and I to have a ministry in the church? And I'm just wondering of a few random thoughts perhaps that some of you might might have about that. Yes, Fred. Ministry is from an individual point of view. 
based on how I think and speak and act in accordance with Scripture, and specifically the Gospel of Jesus Christ. What things have I done? And there are many possibilities. There could be overt effort to preach the gospel, to hold Bible courses and such. But then there are the little ways. When I'm at work, is my language clean? Do I put my quarter in the coffee cup every time I get a cup of coffee? It's the little things that, and I can promise everyone here, for a fact, other people notice. They notice. And so that in itself is a kind of ministry, especially when they know a person is a Christian. Do they talk about people? Or do they keep their peace? And so on and so on. You get the idea. Brad points out, for those of you that are online, that, that uh, ministry should mean to us uh, something that, that is mine. It's something I do, that, that we do as individuals. We should be involved not only in thinking about ministry in the church, and teaching and preaching and so forth, uh, individually and collectively, but also just when we go to work, when we go to school, Anything that we're involved in, little things make a difference in how we may or may not communicate the message. Uh, we could go on, I think, but I, I, I want to ask you at the beginning of this new year to think about your ministry, and, and particularly as we think in, uh, with regard to uh, Paul's work and his ministry. And I'll ask a rhetorical question also. Don't want anyone to answer this. But how would you and I describe our personal ministry? Paul is going to, as we look at these next few verses, he's going to describe his ministry actually in quite a bit of detail if you look at it with some care. So I would recommend or suggest to us that we need to think about our own ministry and how we might describe it. And if we're going into a new year, uh, maybe there's some things we can think about that uh, by the end of that year, Lord willing, that we'll be able to look back and be able to say a number of good things about what we've been able to do. So our lesson today is Paul's labor for Christ, Colossians 1, 24 to 29. So in order to give us a sort of measure of comparison for how we might best look at our own ministry and answer this rhetorical question, uh, I propose for us to go through and think about some of the ways that Paul mentions about his ministry. And what we'll find as we go through is he mentions his sacrifice, he mentions gains and losses. Uh, we'll look at another scripture that has to do with that. He, he looks at his appointment to the ministry, he looks at the content of his ministry, and he looks at the nature of his ministry, and we'll, we'll think about all of those things as we go through. And you'll notice that there's a bunch of tools shown on the slide, and I show that on each one to remind us that ministry involves work, and we do have tools that God provides for us. But some four times in the first chapter of Colossians, uh, 
in, in our English translations at least, the expression for you is used. It's used when Paul is talking about praying for you, uh, but he's also in this context in the verses we'll look at, these are the things that I, Paul, have done for you. So as we dig into this, uh, I'm going to, I hope you'll give consideration to Paul, not to compare ourselves because I, you know, if we think about Paul, he's, he's kind of a, he's up here at a level that I don't think most of us even think in terms of, partly because he had miraculous abilities, but just because he was a superior individual intellectually and in terms of working for the Lord, uh, perhaps unsurpassed in history. So, but at, at, on the other hand, I think there are some things about his ministry that we can think about that might uh, encourage us. So, yes, uh, I think it's worth comparing ourselves, if you will, to Paul. He talks about, first of all, in Colossians 1.24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. What sacrifices do you find mentioned there that Paul makes mentions in this verse? What does he talk about? First of all, Someone must know the answer to that. Suffering, right. He talked about enduring suffering. And what did he say about that? He said, I take joy, I rejoice in that suffering. Uh, <clears throat> we know from reading in other places, for instance, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, that uh, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So, not like Paul had to suffer, we read that long list of things he endured in 2 Corinthians 11 and are thankful that we don't even have to undergo one of them. He was beaten many times, he was shipwrecked. There were just numerous things that he uh, underwent on behalf of Christ and his ministry. Another place that... Uh, I think is worth looking at or just mentioning briefly, and that's James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Uh, and this is a uh, preacher and a brother of Jesus, uh, James, mentioning, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So these ministers, if you will, these apostles, these preachers, these evangelists of those days are challenging us by their willingness to undergo suffering for the body of Christ, for the work of Christ, uh, to do their labor. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul talked about the brand or the marks uh, that he bore in his body on behalf of Jesus. And that word that he uses there, brands, is, is, the, is another English word, stigma. Uh, and it meant in those days that it was a mark of recognition or a mark to indicate ownership. So Paul's proudly bearing 
the brands, if you will, of uh, the ministry of Jesus Christ, he joyfully suffered. And he was showing, in effect, the fact that he was owned, he belonged to Jesus Christ. And that perhaps is something maybe at least for us to think about. What do I do? Uh, some of the small things that Fred mentioned in our daily lives, what do I show that I am owned, that I, am, that I wear Jesus' brand? What else did, do you find there? Anything else in verse 24 that describes the nature of Paul's sacrifice for Christ? tells us there who he did his work for. Who is he doing this work for? For the church, for the sake of the church. Yeah, that's exactly uh, what he did. He also talked about doing his share. And that's uh, a little thing that's that's kind of hidden away uh, in the language there. for the sake of the church. The word, the little preposition that's used there, the original meaning of it was to, to go above and beyond, to do abundantly. So Paul is saying that he is willing to offer abundant or above and beyond the call, if you will, uh, in order to uh, minister on behalf of the church for the sake of the body. There is a a writer who had this uh, description to offer about uh, service and sacrifice. He said self-righteous service comes through human effort. True service comes from a relationship with the divine one, the divine other, uh, deep inside. And there is a passage of scripture that I want to cite. It's not here in Colossians, but it's in Philippians. It's in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul is talking again in, his, in the context about his ministry and the nature of his ministry. Philippians chapter 3, if you want to turn there, beginning at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, and please notice when we go through this, the number of times you'll notice the word gain or loss is mentioned several times. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss, for Christ, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the knowledge, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Some people have called this Paul's profit and loss statement. Of course, that's a term that's used in business all the time. They have uh, statements quarterly or at the end of the year that talk about the, that sum up the profit and loss for a particular period of time. And Paul is saying here, in effect, all of the things that I had as a Jew, as a Pharisee, as a leader among the Pharisees, 
That's nothing to me. It's all a loss. It's worth nothing. Everything I gave up, I, gave, I, I did so that I might gain Jesus Christ. In another place, he said, and also in the book of Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Again, that's that same word he's using there to refer to the nature of his willingness to uh, sacrifice everything that he had under the law of Moses in order to gain Christ. He was willing to give it all up. Now let's talk about how Paul was appointed to do his work. We're all familiar with the story of on the road to Damascus, uh, how Jesus himself confronted him. And uh, Jesus, after that confrontation with him, spoke to Ananias and told him in Acts chapter 9, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for it will, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. So Paul's uh, the one who baptized him into Christ and uh, who no doubt taught him some about Jesus Christ uh, knew and had the warning that, Paul, you're going to, uh, you're going to suffer on the behalf of Jesus Christ. And of course, as we just read, Paul was able to write later, all, that, all of the past is lost. Everything that I have now is gained. And of course, Paul was, was uh, miraculously appointed. He had miraculous abilities, and we don't have those. But still, we can have, I think, that same mindset about what is what should be lost and what can be gained in our lives. But uh, his appointment was from God. Now, you might say, mm, well, I don't have that kind of appointment, but think about it. In the Word, are we not given the same kind of appointment uh, to the ministry as, uh, as Paul was given? It's that same ministry, the ministry of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about his appointment there uh, in verse 25 of Colossians 1. And I, I failed to read that, and I should have. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So Paul regarded his ministry as a gift. He said it was given to me. As he regarded the gain that he had had been a gift from God. He called it his stewardship. And stewardship meant that he was a caretaker. He was the one who provided uh, the, the uh, necessary work to carry out the ministry of Jesus Christ. He had a, felt a responsibility and was given a responsibility uh, to carry out the work of Jesus Christ. In another place, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul refers to his, the stewardship of the grace of God. And again, that word grace is an unmerited gift. So again, he's looking at his ministry, his stewardship that's been given to him as a gift. 
but it's also, of course, a responsibility as well. And every time that we have an opportunity, we should be willing to take advantage. Paul was said that he was uh, given a work that was uh, of and for the church, which was given to me for you. It was on behalf of the church that uh, his that he had this ministry given to him by God, by Christ. You may think about uh, when I was thinking about this, I thought about the the, power, the parable of the talents, the five talent man, the two talent man. Of course, we know they went and earned and gained more and brought that back to their master. The one talent man, of course, hid his talent. So each of them uh, used their talents according to their judgment and according to the sense of responsibility that they felt or didn't feel. And uh, the uh, work of the kingdom, the work of their master was, was blessed or benefited because of their willingness to do the work that they had been assigned. And then he says that his ministry is to fulfill the word of God. In other words, to fully, completely preach to the best of his ability to, for every opportunity that he has to fully preach the gospel to uh, everyone around him, everyone that he has the opportunity to do so. Now, let's talk about the content of Paul's labor, and that's described in verses 26 and 27. He begins by saying that, that his work, the nature of his work, was to reveal the mystery. In verse 26, the mystery was to be revealed to the saints. We're probably, I think, all familiar with that word mystery. It's just something that's been revealed. God kept many things hidden until the time that Jesus came into the world. But then when Jesus came, died, and rose again, many things were revealed, no longer a mystery, but were available to, for the understanding of everyone. Paul also says the nature of his ministry was to make known the riches there again in verse 26, uh, or rather 27. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this ministry among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he regarded, and in fact in several of his letters refers to the value of the blessings that are in the gospel, that are in Christ as riches, and so he regarded very seriously his role to share those riches with, with other people. Now, we in the church, of course, have, have had a revelation in a different sense than Paul, but nevertheless, the full story has been revealed to us, and we have opportunities to share those same riches uh, that are referred to here by Paul. Paul also said, that uh, his, his job, his ministry, was to make known the hope 
of the glory of Christ, which is in you. And again, he's replying, applying that word riches to this. He's talking about an inheritance, the inheritance of hope that we have because of, uh, of being Christians. But we also remember that that hope is contingent, as we discussed in some detail last week. Uh, it is conditional uh, upon our an active role that we must take part in and carry out this ministry that we're talking about. He also said that his ministry, the content of his ministry was God's will, and it was a work on behalf of the saints. Uh, The expression that he uses there is uh, in verse 27, to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory, of the mystery. So it's God's will that he's carrying out, and it was God's will to make it known. One thing to think about or remind ourselves of as we think about this list, and particularly we think about the Apostle Paul and all the abilities that he had, is there's nothing in this list, there's nothing in terms of what we'll talk about that suggests that we all have an equal part in the labor or an equal ability to carry out our ministry. Uh, Jesus himself made it very clear not that there is some level of effort to which we have to achieve, but what he said is that we have to deny ourselves and take up his cross. So it's something we all do uh, individually. And, and that's made clear in, in the various uh, parables of, his, of Jesus, like the parable of the vineyard and others. And I'd like to, uh, let's, let's look at the nature of the labor of Paul. And there are five different terms that are used there in this passage in verses 28 and 29. Looking at verse 28, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving among, uh, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So he just said, first of all, that the, the nature of his ministry was that it was in all wisdom. And here the word wisdom just means things that you can practically use and apply. Teaching, admonition, warning that uh, provide insight to how one should live. And I think we all understand that this is a lot more than book, chapter, and verse kind of knowledge that he's talking about here. He's talking about uh, interpreting and applying scripture uh, in our lives and as we share it with others, the lives of others. He also issued, there's two categories that he mentions in his teaching, warning and teaching. Uh, when we teach, there is sometimes, I think, a tendency on, a, on the part of all of us to not want to step on people's toes. But uh, if you think about Jesus' ministry, he was never 
uh, inhibited by saying that there are some things that should not be done. The Sermon on the Mount is, is uh, there's a number of those things that he warned people about. And uh, Paul did the same thing, and he's doing that here uh, in the book of Colossians. Uh, he is, I think, uh, feeling a sense of urgency about this false teaching that's taking place there. And he had prayed for them, prayed for them to have wisdom. He had mentioned that Jesus is the preeminent one. He's the all-sufficient, superior uh, Lord, King. And now he starts to talk about all of the work that he's done. And I think he's talking about all of these things, saying all of these things, so that he can urge these people, don't be swayed by all of this false teaching that's going on around you. I remind you of the things that I have done on your behalf. I remind you that I prayed very earnestly for you. I remind you that Jesus is Lord. He's the preeminent one. Remember these things. So he is using these things, I think, to warn the people there of the, uh, of the dangers of what they're facing. Then he talks about teaching. Uh, and, of course, teaching Jesus Christ, teaching his nature, uh, as Paul describes here. Uh, and I think one of the things that we need to remember, again, as I said, I don't think it's about book, chapter, and verse. We need in our teaching to teach principles, to teach not just facts, not just the basics, but what are the principles that help us apply the things that those basic facts, those basic understandings? How do we apply those principles, such as the Great Commission? It doesn't give us a whole lot of specifics there in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But as we read through, particularly in, as we look at the ministry of Paul, we begin to see how one can go about carrying out the Great Commission. There are five other things listed on this slide that talk about the nature of uh, Paul's ministry there. He said his ministry was to preach him. And that, of course, uh, is Jesus Christ. And that, that has to be the content of our, our ministry as well. Uh, teaching the truth about Jesus, not some of the, uh, I won't call them fairy tales, but distortions that are very prevalent in our world today about the nature of Christ, about who he is, and about what we should be doing to work, to worship, and to serve him. And Paul is saying, I'm teaching the truth I'm teaching you about Jesus, and that's very much in contrast to what you're hearing from these false teachers who were telling them things that suggested that the nature of Christ was not really as he described, but was something different. And if you really want to know Christ, you have to have this kind of super special knowledge that only a few folks have. And uh, if you don't have it, well, you, don't, uh, you can't, can't be a Christian. He said his ministry or the nature of his work was 
to go to every man. And again, I remind you of Paul's list of things that he underwent in 2 Corinthians 11. He was willing to go anywhere. He didn't uh, discriminate based upon the possible warning that he might have received or the nature of the, uh, the road that led him there, that read, led him through dangerous territory, or that he had to go on a, on a ship during a storm or whatever. He was always willing to go to every man, to every uh, part of the world. He said the goal of his teaching was to present every man uh, complete. And the idea there is maturity, spiritual maturity. And so he is looking to present people. And again, you may remember from last week that word present means to stand beside, to, uh, to commend, uh, to stand before. So I think Paul is probably thinking about the judgment itself here. When we all stand before our judge, Jesus Christ, but Paul wanted to be able to stand with these people and say, these are people that I have taught the truth. And they are here. They are Christians. They are, they are your children because uh, I have taught them the truth. And we here at West Huntsville should be willing to stand beside one another be sure that we are being exposed to the truth in our teaching, in our classes, uh, in the sermons. And we are blessed to be led by four men who are very earnest in their endeavors to assure that we are properly taught uh, the things that we need to know in order to be, as Paul describes, to be complete, to be Mature. He uses in the New King James the word perfect. And I think we all understand that none of us achieve absolute perfection. Uh, that's never going to be possible. <clears throat> Maybe I should speak for myself. Uh, I know I have one or two faults uh, that I've been able to discover. And uh, if you ask my wife, she could probably tell you one or two more, maybe. But Seriously, perfection is not something that we're going to achieve. Spiritual maturity is something that we can all achieve. We can all operate and serve to the best of our particular ability. Paul said also that he continually, continually, was continually striving, rather, and he used the word mightily to uh, describe how he, was, how he was striving. The word striving there that's, is the word from which we get our term, our English word agony. So it suggested the idea of just really putting your everything into uh, serving, carrying out the ministry. And he did it mightily. And I think there he's talking about the might of the Lord, and in his case, he had miraculous abilities, something we don't have again, but still our efforts can be uh, and should be as serious as Paul's in terms of striving 
mightily to the very best of our, of our abilities. We don't have to have miraculous abilities. We have non-miraculous gifts, abilities, and uh, we can use those mightily uh, in the kingdom as, as Paul was willing to do. And he said that Christ is working in me. Paul was energized by Jesus Christ. Are we energized by Jesus Christ? Uh, some would say, well, no, Paul had, had these miraculous gifts. He could do all sorts of things. Well, uh, <clears throat> if he, I'll remind us that Ephesians 4 and verse 12 refers to gifts given to the church. And it says there that those gifts are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So I would suggest to us that yes, indeed, Christ is working in us. His word, his will is very much at work in us. Uh, And we have uh, not the same measures of ability that Paul had, but we have all the abilities that we need. And as we look, I know when the elders look around at this body of people, they see a wide, wide range of abilities and gifts that all come together and form a unit uh, to God's glory. So Paul used his gifts mightily. And I think when we stop and try to compare ourselves with Paul, we need to keep some of these adjectives uh, in mind as to how he described his own work. Now, how can I apply this to my own ministry, to my own work? Yes, Charles. Charles is describing the gifts that we've been given through Christ and that uh, expresses the thought that those things that, and the way that we use them should, should occur naturally. We've been given them through Christ. He's blessed us with these things. And we need to uh, be able to or willing to apply them uh, very much like we've talked about with Paul here and, and when Jesus in chapter or in John 14 that Charles referenced speaking to his apostles and about how much they were going to be able to accomplish. Uh, they have indeed passed that word on to us so that we can go forth and do the same kinds of great things that they were able to do. This is what I would suggest for us to consider in my thinking about this, and I was thinking of myself. I should be willing to work. Uh, I don't think there's anything that would lead us to conclude from Scripture, from New Testament Scripture, that Paul put me, uh, that Christ rather put me into the church so that I could relax and take it easy. He put me here with a job. He put us all here with a work to do. It varies according to a lot of things, personality, abilities, and so on, opportunities. But willingness to work has to be and was 
as we've looked at some of the aspects of Paul's ministry. He was willing to work, uh, work that furthered the kingdom. He was also willing to work in spite of suffering persecution. Uh, we don't, fortunately, we don't have the same kind of persecution. Or I, I doubt if any of us have, have been able to enjoy what Paul enjoyed in his suffering. But we can, uh, we will be uh, made fun of, uh, and in sometimes persecuted in various ways. Work to lead others to Jesus Christ by sharing the gospel. Paul said that was his goal, that was his work in his ministry. And he worked to serve serve others. He says, this is for you. All of us, I think, hopefully, have the mindset that this is not for me. Now, when we study the Word and when we try to learn, yes, that's for me. But when I work and serve, That should be for you. Our work should also be characterized uh, and we should understand that it's God's power working in us. It's the abilities uh, He's given. Everything that we can do, that we will do, is really because God has given us abilities and he's given us gifts. He's equipped us uh, for a ministry of service. Then there's two other things that I, that occurred to me that I'd like you to think about. And, and if you go back over this list, maybe in your mind, notice this fact. There are none of those that talk about the quantity or the quality of the results. Remember, who gives the increase? God gives the increase. But rather, all of these describe the goals and the quality of our effort, of our effort, not the results. Those are up to God. But the goal of our effort and the quality of our effort should be very much like Paul. We should be willing to suffer. We should be willing to work mightily. We should be working only on behalf of Jesus Christ. Every effort, this is Bill speaking, his opinion, offering some advice maybe to others who want to work. Every effort that we make as Christians whether it's to teach, to preach, to take some food to somebody, to be kind to someone, to visit the sick, and on and on and on. There should be one goal for those things that we do, and that is to have them know Jesus Christ and to honor Him with our lives. So I think I commend to you the example of the Apostle Paul and his ministry. Uh, He was indeed, uh, I think, a great example, one that uh, worthy of uh, giving further consideration to just in these few short verses at the end of chapter one 
of the book of Colossians. Next week, Christ, the source of wisdom. We get back to talking about the nature of Jesus Christ next week in Colossians chapter 2. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your attention and participation. I appreciate it very much. And Happy New Year. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.